Turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be really in two passages. Some of you knew I was going to go to Genesis because that is where this all began, this marriage thing, okay? So Genesis chapter 2, I want you to hop there. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 15. Those of you that are maybe new to church or new to this, in the book of Genesis, it's the book of beginnings, okay? Everything that happened for the first time, you can pretty much read about it in Genesis, and it explains how it all started. Where did this marriage thing come from? You know, people, they get married. They get married young. They get married when they're older. They get married for all different reasons in different places. Some have destination weddings. Some get married in a church. But where did it all start? It starts right here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. It all starts with this guy named Adam. Okay? We love him, don't we? He he just, he helped us out so much. Uh, Adam is the very first man. And the Bible, uh, there's this relationship that God had with Adam, his first creation. The Bible says he put him in the garden of Eden. To dress it and to keep it. I mean, he's supposed to take care of this place. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. All right. God says it's not good. He notices a problem here. Verse 19. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle. And to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. Poor guy, he was in the garden all by himself. And God says, man, we got a problem here. It is not good for you, Adam, that you should be alone. And I'm going to create a helpmeet. Well, then this passage says that Adam's in there and he's doing his job. He's dressing and keeping it. And part of his job was to start naming animals, right? He starts naming the cows, cows, and the dogs, dogs, and the fish, fish, or whatever he's calling these things. And he's, everyone goes by, and the cow, they got their, you know, cow mate, and they got, the dogs got their dog mate, and he doesn't have anybody. There's nobody there to help him. There's nobody there for Adam. Poor guy. All right, verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he, that's God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. What a passage! We got a man! We got a woman! God said there's a problem, and, and there was no, no one to help Adam, and so God took this, 
rib out of Adam, and he, he had a little first surgery there, and he, he, he took this rib and made a woman. That's cool, right? Uh, he made a woman, and he, her name was Eve, and God said that, that the man should leave his father, should leave his mother, and they should cleave together, and they too should be one flesh. Those of you that are married, this is what you did on the day that you got married, on your wedding day, whether that happened at a courthouse or whether that happened here at this church or somewhere else. You promised yourself to one another. You left your parents to create a new family, a new, a new couple, a new marriage. And this is what we're seeing here. The first fact you've got to see about marriage, and it's so important. This is, it's going to seem basic to you, but we're going to get to what it means to us. Uh, I really love to make some application. The first fact is this. Marriage was created by God. Look, did you see the passage here as we went through this? Um, the Bible says over and over the words, the Lord God. It says, the Lord God, it says he put Adam in the garden. The Lord God was the one that noticed that Adam was alone. It said the Lord God, he was the one that took the rib out of Adam. God is the one that got this thing all going. He noticed the problem. He created the man, he created the woman, and he declared it a marriage. God is the one that created marriage. Marriage was created by God. Nobody else made this thing up. It wasn't something, there have been some things, some institutions that have been set up over time, uh, public school, things like this, uh, you know, these things we deal with in life, you know, companies and corporations, and these are all man-made things, but marriage is not man-made. Marriage has a source, and the source is God. Now, you, you may, this is good information, but we're going to get to the application here in a second. Marriage was Created by God. See, God was the creator. He, he, he knows what marriage is. And if he is the creator of marriage, you know what? He knows what marriage is for. He knows what marriage is for. Um, I want you to just read along on the screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, 16. Listen to this verse here. For by him... Were all things created. In this passage, it's talking about Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus, before he was here on this earth, he existed forever past, and he was part of creation. It says, by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Can you say those two words with me? For him. For him. Revelation 4.11 says the same thing. Thou art worthy, O Lord. There are these people in heaven saying, casting crowns at Jesus' feet and says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you've created all things. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Marriage was created by God. But do you know that marriage was created for God? We are very selfish people. Um, I remember when I got married. It was fun. I don't think anybody in this room was there. You may have Facebook stalked us and seen all of our pictures. Ashley was there. We have Ashley, my wife's cousin, is here, and she was there. Can you put that picture up? I have a picture. Oh, this is... We got married on this beautiful bridge in Ohio, and uh, I think it was Blaine was the little town, but it's close to Bel Air, Ohio. 
And uh, this is me singing my wonderful heart out. Just, I wasn't singing to Trisha. This was actually before the wedding. But I remember the wedding day. I remember all about it, all the, all the preparation. And it was great. I didn't have to do much of the decorating or anything like that. Um, but the day was exciting. I mean, that was the day I'm getting married. How many of you remember the day you got married? You remember it? fond memories? Some of those memories are full of stress because everybody else is bombarding you with stuff you need to do or whatever they want out of your marriage. I don't know. But um, go ahead and go to the next picture. This is our more, here we are, cutting our cake. Trisha's dad made the cake. He's such a nice guy. We had a great time that day. But I can tell you that when I was going into this marriage, and many times, even now, I'm very selfish we are selfish lovers. See, some of you, I want you to think right now, I just want you to think of why you got married. What was the reason? A lot of you got married because, ooh boy, they look good. I like them. I like how I feel when I'm with them, right? I like how they make me feel. I like what they do for me. He gets me gifts, uh, she gets me this, you know, whatever. You, you like there's a certain reason you got together, right? Most of the reasons that we get married are selfish reasons. Uh, we, we get married, some of you might say we got married because of love, right? It's a lot of times it's selfish love, though. It's like, I can't wait till we get married and when, when we get home, I'll come home from work and she'll rub my feet. She'll ha- I'll have dinner on the table, like I'll just walk in and it's there. All of a sudden, the dinner and the plates, they all disappear magically, and the dishes wash themselves. <laughs> this is what we dream of when it comes to marriage. We think that, that, that we're, we're asking, what am I going to get out of this marriage, right? We're, we're selfishly going into it saying, this person is going to fulfill my dreams. I can't wait to be with them. That's a selfish way to start marriage, but that's how we do it. Sometimes it's, I enjoy them because they do what I like to do. Listen, all of these are normal you know that? Anybody identify with some of them things? Oh, this person, they make me feel great. All of these are normal reasons why we get married. Because this person treats me good. They look good. All this stuff. But none of these reasons are good enough reasons to build your marriage upon. Let me explain. Marriage is created by God. And his purpose for you two being married, those of you that are married, or those of you that will, pay attention. God's purpose for you being married is not for you to get pleasure and all this, you know, glory from it. The, the marriage is not about you. So often we're, we're self-centered and we're focused and we want people to meet our needs and we want them to do what we want and we want, we want them for us. But that's not what marriage is for. Marriage is created by God and marriage is created for God. Amen. Listen, wives, it's not about what your husbands can do for you. Husbands, it's not about what your wives can do for you. You are selfish and you are self-centered. Do you know that? I'm selfish and I'm self-centered. That's how we think. We are sinful people. We want people to, to serve us and do things for us and make us feel good. But that is not a good foundation and a good reason to be married. That's not why it was created in the first place. Marriage is created for God. This is why we must go back to the drawing board 
and make sure our marriage is focused first on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, a shared relationship with Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation for your marriage. If you build your marriage on anything else, your marriage will be tolerable at best. Let me explain. A shared relationship with Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation for your marriage. If you build your marriage on the fact that you like the way that person looks, you just give yourself a few years, okay? I'm not talking about husbands saying, oh, my wife is getting older or she's having kids. She will, you know, Lord willing, have children. But your wife's looking at you too, buddy. And I remember, you want to put that picture back over me? I remember, and, and the picture here, uh, let's go to the other one. It looked better. Uh, this is my good side. So in this picture, I remember, this is the closest I ever got to having abs, okay? This picture right here, I was fit. I was ready to go. I mean, I was, I'm not going to admit to some things. Uh, I may have went tanning once or twice. Should I tell them? I'll tell them. So this is terrible. I'll just tell you guys this. You need a little mental break here for a second. So I, when we were, you know, this is, some of you older generation, you don't get this, but it's, it's good to be tan when you're wearing a white suit on your wedding day. And in my generation, some guys, I wasn't too fond of it, but some guys like actually go and getting a tanning bed. And I was like, man, I got to get tan. I, she didn't know I was going to have a white suit and I wanted to surprise her with my, you know, awesome tuxedo. And uh, so I went, to, I went to the tanning booth. And um, on our wedding day, you can't tell in this picture, I was a lobster. I mean, I was, uh, my face was kind of tan, but I was a lobster. Let me just put it that way. But if you base your marriage on what somebody looks like, looks will change. If you base your marriage on the shared interests you have, man, we're both extreme rock climbers or whatever you do. I don't know. We love to you know, work with potted plants, or I don't know what you do, but whatever that interest is that you share, that is not a foundation for marriage. That interest is going to change. You understand? The only foundation that you can build a marriage on is Christ, because He doesn't change. And if you go into it with the idea that you have your relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's your most important, and she has hers, that's a foundation that you can start on, and that's a foundation that will last. Pastor Tony began the sermon series talking about two foundations, one on Jesus Christ, the rock, the other on sinking sand, on sand that moves, and it's, it fluctuates. Listen, when you build your marriage on your relationship and your shared relationship with Christ, it will stand the test of time. There are things that happen in a marriage there are diseases that happen to your kids, that happen to your family. There are hard times. You lose jobs. People, you, there are diseases that happen within your marriage. Your spouse gets sick. You get sick. Listen, if you're, if you're so uh, superficial to base your relationship off of looks or shared interests or the fact they have money or anything like that, you're, you're already headed the wrong way. I'm asking you to reevaluate where you're at and what it is you're building your relationship on. Some of you are just in here existing in a marriage. You're just, you're just going through the motions. Maybe you don't even have shared interests anymore. And the, the reason you're where you're at is because you started off with this idea that we're, we're, we're going to build our marriage on our dreams or we're going to build it on love. Well, that's not going to cut it. The only thing that you can build a marriage on is Jesus Christ and your relationship and, and the other person's relationship with him, shared together. Listen, to those of you that may be uh, not married. I just want to address this. 
This is not just a marriage thing. Um, it's a life thing. Do you know that God is not just the creator of marriage, he's the creator of you. And he created all things. That includes you. He created you not so that you could do whatever you want. He didn't create you for you. He created you for him. Do you understand? We have this idea that somehow we're supposed to pursue our passions and our dreams and our things. And it's all about me. What I can make, what I can do, what I can be. Life is not about you. I just want to put us all in check here that we're so selfish and think the world revolves around us. And that's our downfall. Listen, God created you, and he created you for himself, for his pleasure. So let me ask you two evaluation questions here just at the beginning. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, Some of you say, of course I do. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can have one. The only way that you and God are going are gonna to have a good relationship is because of Christ. Amen. Jesus looked down at you, and he saw you in your selfishness. And he, he looked down at you, and he saw you in your problems. He, he realized what you would do, what you would be, and who you would be on your worst day. And he still came, and he died for you. And he was buried for three days. And the Bible says, of his own power, he rose from the dead, proving that he was God, and that he paid for your sin. The Bible says if you receive him as your savior, you can be restored back to God. And it's that restored relationship that you have with God that matches up with that restored relationship your spouse or your future spouse will have with God that is the foundation of a marriage. Does that make sense? So let me ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's question number one. Question number two, have you chosen to follow him as your Lord? Have you chosen to follow him as your Lord? Some of you are saved. Some of you know Jesus. You you remember the day that you got saved. You you remember the experience. You even remember a time when in your marriage you may have prayed together. You may have had a closer relationship where Jesus was the foundation. But you know what happens sometimes? We get caught up in this world. We get caught up in our jobs. We get caught up in life. We get caught up in troubles. And what happens is we slip away. And we stop following. We get selfish again. Listen, it's, it's not just enough to have a relationship with Christ, but it's, we need to follow Christ. And it, I want you to turn, it's going to bring us into our, th- our third fact. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, but at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That, that big passage we, uh, most of us know about marriage and what God says about our roles in marriage and how to do this thing right, it begins with you following Jesus. I'm not asking if you come to church. I'm not asking you if you uh, like godly things. I'm not asking if you like Christian music. I'm asking if you're following Jesus. Deep down in your heart right now, is there something that's keeping you from God? Deep down in your heart right now, is there a selfish motive, a bitterness, uh, something that is stopping you from following Jesus? Because that's the issue with your marriage. Do you understand? Marriage, the foundation is Jesus Christ. So if you get right your relationship with Jesus Christ and the other person does as well, your marriage will get right. Do you understand? I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22. Let me get there. Ephesians 5, 22. 
The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You're probably sitting there wondering, what is he going to say next about this passage? Listen, here's fact number three about marriage. Not only is marriage was created by God, marriage was created for God, but marriage, very simply, marriage is a picture. Listen, this whole thing talks about husbands, it talks about wives, but it says, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about the church. I'm speaking concerning the church. And so the whole thing, you say, why did God create marriage? God created marriage for himself. He didn't create it for you and your happiness, though it does bring you great happiness if you do it right. He doesn't bring you, he doesn't bring you your spouse for you. It's all about him. And he says, listen, here's what I want to do with marriage. I want marriage to be a picture of my relationship with the church. Let me ask you, who's the church? We're the church. You are part of the church. The church is the individuals that Jesus died for, that received Jesus Christ. Now let me explain this to you. Marriage is a picture. It's a living, breathing portrait of the great love of God for you. So what does this mean when it comes to this picture? How do we portray this picture? How do we be this living picture? I want to hit first where it talks about husbands. And we're going to move quickly through the end of this here. The Bible says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There are some words that are in here. Love, nourish, care, and give. Words that we find here. Listen, God, uh, husbands, sometimes I think we need, it, we need some help. I know we need some help because I need some help. Anybody with me? Help me out here. Be with me, okay. Um, some of you are visual learners. Some of you will learn by reading. Well, God wrote it down, but more importantly, he didn't just, some of you are like, if I, if I read an instruction manual, I can't get it. I want you to show me how to do it. Well, God showed you. Because he says, you know what, this, the way you, you want to know how to be a husband, we've got to come back here, we've got to remember this. Some of you have heard this, but you forgot it, and I, many times I forget it. He says, you want to be a husband? Watch me. 
Look at what I have done for you and do the same for your wife. Now let me explain this because it gets personal. What did God do for you, husband? Because this is the example. You, in the picture, are supposed to be representing God. Listen, here's what God did for you. God pursued you. He pursued you. Listen, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were in a, in a point in your life, in your being, where you couldn't come to God. Not only that, you were unlovely. You had sinned against him. You had done wrong against him. But you know what he did? He came for you anyway. Amen. He came after you. He wanted you. God pursued you. Not only did he pursue you, he didn't just pursue sinners. He actually, it's, it's like he, he came down and he got involved with sinners and he suffered for you. He loved you so much that he was willing to withstand a little uncomfortable, much uncomfortable situation on your behalf. Sometimes we get into marriage and we think, I'm supposed to be the one that's being served. And I've fallen into that trap so many times. But do you understand? Jesus came. He came not to be served, but to be the servant. Does that make sense? Jesus came to serve, and he came to serve so much that it hurt him. So many times, I hear it in church. I hear it here. I've seen it in my own life. So many times, we can't even get up off the couch. Yeah. So many times, we can't even go out of our way to take a few extra steps. This is the picture. The picture is Jesus pursuing and suffering and going out of his way. And this is what a husband should do. Jesus went without. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He, he went without a home. He went without all these uh, comforts, and he did it for you. See, the Bible in Ephesians said this. He said, for no man, verse 29, or verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Um, I don't know a man that doesn't take care of his own needs. Uh, I guess maybe that's wrong. I've seen people that are bums. But uh, uh, there are, uh, generally speaking, we take care of ourselves, right? We buy ourselves the toys we want to buy. We make sure our funds are covered. We, we make sure that all of our needs are met, that we feel comfortable. But the picture here is this. You're supposed to love your wife the same way you love yourself. Always give yourself the best, don't you? You always look out for you, don't you? You ought to look out your wife, for your wife the same way you look out for yourself. Amen. If you get yourself the best, you should get her the best. Do you understand? You, you, you don't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. Don't put her in an uncomfortable situation. You make sure that people, I don't, I don't know, in your pride, maybe respect you and talk to you kindly. You make sure the same happens for your wife. Do you understand? He went without for you. Listen to this. There is nothing that could keep Jesus from you. Not only that, he forgave you. You ever get upset with your wife? Yeah. Some of you have bitterness against your wife. God, even in your worst sin, doesn't hold it against you. He takes your sin, when you ask forgiveness, he casts it into the depth of the sea. It's gone. It's done away with. Maybe you need to get with the program. Maybe you need to recognize this picture and represent Christ and be forgiving. 
goes both ways, husbands and wives. He forgave you. He's patient with you. How many times have you done wrong, but Jesus continues to forgive? He doesn't yell at you. He doesn't scold you. He speaks well of you. So many blessings in Scripture. So many times Jesus prays for us. So many things he says good about us. Jesus does not deal with us according to what you deserve, or what we deserve. He, he shows mercy. He withholds punishment. This is the picture that men are supposed to show toward their wives. Do you understand? If you want to know how to be a husband, just ask yourself, how does Jesus treat you? And sometimes we, we say, yeah, I know that, but that's a lot of work. Maybe the, what you need to deal with today is the issue of laziness. Maybe what you need to deal with is the issue of selfishness. Here's, I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. Um, There's an order in the household, and and I'm going to get to wives here in a second, but there's an order in the household. God created marriage. God created, but he created the man first. Created the man first. And the man is the leader of the home because it's part of the picture. Christ is the head of the church. Not the ruler over the home like that, but he is the leader. That's your position. The loving leader. See, men need to accept the responsibility to be the loving leader. But what happens is when when we don't lovingly lead, your wife has to. And your wife has to step in and do the things that you should already be doing. And look at this. What is the wife's position? What is the wife's role in this great picture to represent Christ in his church? I want you to look back in verse number 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. See, you know why it's easy for us or it's something that we can do is submit ourselves to the Lord? It's because he loves us. We know he has our best interest. It's easy to submit to somebody that loves you and wants the best for you and treats you kindly. It says, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. See, the wife is called to be respectful. The wife is called to be the cheerleader. The wife is called to be the helper Adam, it wasn't good for him to be alone, and God created him to lead this, this new family, this picture, but with him, he couldn't do it on his own. He needed someone else, and so the helper, this, uh, this helper that places herself under the authority as unto the Lord is the part of the wives, and wives should accept the responsibility for their role as the helper to the husband, but let me just clue you in on something. I believe here that if the husband gets himself right, it's going to make the wife's job a lot easier. Amen. Do you understand? It says you're supposed wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The Lord is a loving leader. Husbands are to be reverenced by their wife and respected by their wife. But when you are not the loving leader, it is difficult to respect you. Does that make sense? 
If you're not loving, if you're not caring, if you're not patient, if you're not giving, if you're not meeting her needs over your own and sacrificing yourself for her needs, do you what happens is she takes up your roles as the spiritual leader and she loses respect for you, though it's still her job to respect you. It's very difficult. And this is the picture that God says. He says, listen, marriage, husband and wife is a picture of me and my church. I love my church. I died for my church. I give myself for my church. And in return, the church turns and the church, we, we call him Lord and we respect him and we follow him. Husbands, I'm going to encourage you to do this first. You go first today. Amen. When it comes to getting things right in your heart, it starts with you. I think that if every husband in every home would ask God for revival, would ask God for a a broken heart and would get over your pride and not think that you're the boss of everybody and you'd get through and you'd realize that you're just representing Christ, the one who was the boss, but he acted like he he had no reputation. He, He took on the form of a servant. Listen, you're not in your home to be served. You're there to serve. And I'm talking to myself. One note to those that have... To the wives, the Bible does speak to those in a situation where the wife is a Christian, but the husband is not. Let me give you some advice. It's God's advice, and then we'll close. First Peter chapter 3, the Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, why would I, well, I'm not a wife, but let me just talk on your, your shoes here. Why would a wife subject herself to her own husband? Well, it's very easy when somebody is loving and leading you and cheering you on and, and meeting your needs. But listen to this. It addresses the husband that is not a believer. It says that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. To those of you in a situation where your spouse, they know not the word. They don't believe Christ. They're not a believer. The Bible says you will win them, not with your constant nagging, not with your words. They'll be won without the word. They'll be won by your reverence for them and for the Lord. And for your heart, the Bible says this, that it's not to be what's on the outside, but the hidden man of the heart. God is going to use your conversation, meaning your lifestyle, to win that person. So do what God is asking you to do. Make sure that you're not selfish, that you're not prideful, and continue to pray. And I believe God can reach that person.